It is, uh, it is innate. It is God-given. It is at the core of who we are as human beings. And interestingly enough, when children don't grow up with a strong sense that they're unconditionally loved, it really affects the rest of their life. And um, I think it's a key issue. And the funny thing is when you talk about things like pleasure and desire in church, some people get a little squeamish because uh, we don't like to think about the Christian walk in terms of pleasure. Um, because pleasure is always equated with worldly things, sin and um, things we, we should avoid. But God designed us for pleasure. God designed us for desire. Um, and some people in, in a church context in trying to avoid sin have said, you know, don't focus on pleasure, just focus on doing the right thing. And I want to make the argument this morning that if you're not pursuing the greatest pleasure that's available, you will look for it somewhere else. Let me read to you um, what Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. In the church in Philippi, he writes this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to argue to you that Paul's declaration here about himself isn't because Paul only was concerned about the gospel because it's true. And if you don't know that, the gospel is true. God is real and what he says in his word is true. And I want to tell you, Paul probably did not only forsake everything to follow Jesus because um, he wanted to avoid negative consequences, which are worth avoiding. They're legitimate. There is a hell. There are consequences to sin in this life and the next, and we should avoid those. I'm going to argue to you that Paul was willing to give everything for Jesus because in Jesus he found the greatest pleasure available. He found the greatest delight that could possibly be had in this world. And it's not to say that pleasure is bad. It's not to say that other delights are bad. I like food. I like, I like friends and family. I like having things. I like games. I like, I like doing stuff. And God's given you blessings in your life, yes, at times to give them away. But he has given you blessings so that you would enjoy them. You know, a good dad teaches his son to share, but also gives his son stuff just so the son can enjoy. Does that make sense? So God has given you stuff to be blessed with, but it's an issue of priority. What is the greatest pleasure in your life? And this is where Christians get a little confused. Because if you really ask a Christian, what is, your great, what is the thing that really fulfills you, gives you the most enjoyment? They're honest, a lot with have a struggle to say God because they don't see God as the greatest pleasure in their life, as the greatest enjoyment in their life. And to you, this might be an entirely new concept, like enjoying God. I just, I thought I was supposed to obey God. I'm here to follow God. I'm Kurt, I'm in church. I'm sitting here. I'm obeying God. What are you talking about? I'm talking about there's actually pleasure in God that you should and need to tap into because if you don't believe that God is the greatest delight out there, you will look for it somewhere else. You really will. 
This is why Christians, a lot of Christians will at times live like they're in the world. Again, it's not bad to enjoy things that aren't sin. <laughs> but again, where's the priority? And God wants to be the most pleasurable thing in your life. And again, if you don't understand that, you will pursue all sorts of routes searching for what God designed you to have. And it goes back to that issue of love. I need to know I'm loved unconditionally. And only God can do that. I need to know that God delights in me. And only God can reveal that to me. And if you do not believe that's found in God, you will look for it somewhere else, even if you're a believer. Or you will be a miserable believer trying to follow an angry God that you think is out there. So this morning, I want to paint a picture to you of a God who's really enjoyable. And this isn't saying that sacrifice isn't important. Because some would say, Kurt, it's not about how we feel, dude. It's about... Um, it's about giving it all. It's about sacrificing for Jesus. And you're right. I mean, we sang a song, Lord, take my life and let it be all for you. But do you realize that Jesus, who paid the greatest sacrifice, did so because in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, of, because of the joy set before him, the joy of obeying the Father, the joy of receiving us as his inheritance. Jesus was able to sacrifice big because he believed Big joy was on the other side. If you don't have faith for big passion, big enjoyment, big delight in God, you won't sacrifice big. The people who sacrifice everything for Jesus have found that Jesus is more enjoyable than anything in the world. And so I'm not going to get up here and say, you need to give everything, do all this. You know, sometimes we should. We need to do that. I want to paint a picture to you of why God is so enjoyable. Because you see, Christians a lot of times don't enjoy God because they don't understand God. I'm convinced. If you understood God, you'd enjoy him. The more you understand him, the more you enjoy him. So the more you enjoy God, the more you understand God, the more you enjoy him. And the more you enjoy him, it is a no-brainer. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but like when I dealt with sin, struggling with issues of sexual purity growing up in my life, the only times I ever had victory was because I knew if I did this, I'm, I'm giving up some pleasure in the Lord. It's not that the Lord hated me. Don't get me wrong. I knew the Lord didn't hate me. I knew that fellowship will be broken for a second. I, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit by doing this. And the pleasure in God was more enticing to me than the pleasure of that sin. Because I'm telling you right now, when it comes to getting tempted, um, negative consequences mean Jack. I mean, you can talk to teenagers about STDs, about getting pregnant, about how this will ruin your relationship, ruin your life, if you choose to live promiscuously. But when you're tempted with it, none of that matters. Why? Because we're driven by pleasure. You're motivated by pleasure. And if you do not allow pleasure to be your motivation as a Christian, you're not going to... um, Pursue God with everything that you want. And God's not mad at you. God's actually trying to woo you. <laughs> I love it. I love it about him. David says in Psalm 18 that his, his gentleness has made me great. God gently woos us. And then we realize, oh, oh yeah, I want to give everything. I titled my message this morning, Our Inheritance in God. Because Jesus died on the cross to receive us. We're his inheritance. 
But in um, different passages, Paul, for example, in Acts 20.32 and um, Ephesians 1.11, references what we received in Christ as an inheritance because he died. And when someone dies and they give you something in their will, it's called an inheritance. So what we received in the inheritance that Jesus died for is so many things. But the biggest thing in the inheritance we receive is him. Paul, Paul, Paul breaks it down here. He says, knowing Christ is the most important thing to me. And he talks about, um, we could break that whole passage down. I'm not going to do it today. But what he means by um, power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. But he basically boils down to this. Knowing Jesus is worth everything to me. Because he is my greatest inheritance. He is my greatest reward. And um, it changes everything. It changes everything. I don't know if I mentioned this. I meant to just say this. But the reason Christians don't enjoy God is because they don't have right thoughts about him. So that's what I'm going to help you do this morning. I'm going to help you see some right ways to think about God. And challenge some uh, preconceived notions we have about him. Next week, I'm going to talk about God's inheritance in us. But our inheritance in God is really him. And that's what I want to start with. Because you can't even talk about God's inheritance in us until you start with him. Because it all starts with him. It'll make sense to you later um, if you don't already catch this. But in talking about God, um, I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about God's personality and God's presence. Because his personality is so enjoyable and his presence is awesome. And um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not an expert in God. (laughs) God is infinite, meaning he has no limits. I'm finite. I'm limited, very limited. Very, ask my wife, I'm very, very limited. Um, And I can't grasp everything that God is, but I can know what he tells us about himself. And he tells us a lot. And to be frank, I'm not even going to go over everything he tells us about himself. I couldn't. I mean, that would take years and books. And guess what? It's going to take an eternity. And you have an eternity to find it out, which is awesome. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you about his personality and his presence. And then I'm going to take the personality and break it into three um, areas. I'm going to talk about God's thoughts, God's emotions, and God's um, actions. And then in his presence, we're going to talk about his abiding presence and his manifest presence I'm a linear guy, so this, you, you got to see that side today. <laughs> but let's talk about good thoughts about God. Let's talk about what's enjoyable about the Lord. And um, we're going to start with this issue of God's thoughts. And again, I'm not going to, I couldn't even talk of the vastness of the way he thinks. But I'm going to specifically mention his, like, some of his perspectives. Because you see, the way God sees life is entirely different than we do. It's awesome. <laughs> do you realize that so much of the emotional garbage you deal with is because how you see life and how you think about yourself and how you perceive the world around you? When you watch the news, when you talk to friends, when you look in the mirror. And when you get God's perspective, it's cool because he not only um, gives you right thinking, you have to be forced to remove the bad thinking And when you remove the bad thinking, the side effects of it start going away. (laughs) So, okay, let's start with God's thoughts. Here we go. 
One of, one of the key thoughts that God has that is so enjoyable to us as mankind, and maybe I'm just talking to my, about myself, but what's just so enjoyable to me is God has value for us despite our actions. And God's word shows us in so many different ways, but one of those ways we see it is in Genesis 1.27. It talks about we're made in the image of God. And this is important because it means even as a sinner, even as a sinful person and who hasn't sinned here, well, okay, no one's raised their hands, good. We're all honest. Um, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says God still sees value in us. Well, how can that be? Well, one way that can be is because he's put his image in us. He's put a mark of himself. And if you came to me and said, Kurt, I have like a $3,000 diamond ring, really awesome. I know you don't wear rings, but maybe you want to give it to your wife. Um, but it's gotten dirty. It's gotten tarnished. And it's at the bottom of the dumpster right now. But it's there. If you want it, you can have it. For 3000 bucks, I might dumpster dive. I had a friend, some of you know him, I won't tell you who he is, but he liked to dumpster dive um, a lot. <laughs> and it was just not my thing. Um, but he found some cool stuff. I actually found a book for him at the library, Strategies on Dumpster Diving. It was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> he was blessed. Uh, but if you told me a $3,000 ring was at the bottom of a dumpster, I would get down there and I would look for it. Why? Because I have value for that. I don't care what place it's in, and I don't care how dirty it is, because there's still value there. And you see, what sin does is it taints us. It smears us, but there's still value there. <laughs> why do you think God says, um, let me just give you the reference, I won't read it. But why God says in Romans 5.8 that he died for sinners. Why? Because he still saw value in the sinful. God could look past that and say, there's something I value. It's huge. We don't see ourselves that way. We don't see other people that way. <laughs> I don't see people that way all the time. Most of the time. <laughs> God, God, to understand the value God has for human life, a single human life. It's kind of like a parent. They have a, have a child. The baby can't do anything. Heard someone say he is, their smell at one end and noise at the other. I mean, they're just literally, they cannot do anything. But how many parents love this newborn baby who can't do jack, but they love him or her to death? That's how God feels about you. You don't have to do anything, and God loves you to death. It's key. Because once you start getting that, you understand how God feels about you. You also understand how God feels about other people. Critical, by the way, if you want to go evangelizing to people that um, you actually have value for them like God does. (laughs) Good word. I love this. Um, This is Ezekiel 18, 23, and then also 32. This is in the Old Testament. It says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? And then verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. God's not happy that he punishes people. God is happy that justice is fulfilled. But I believe the heart of God is torn, according to this verse, every time it costs a human life. I think serial killers should be put in prison. And I, I personally think at times, yeah, death penalty is probably appropriate. But do I weep for that person's soul? Yeah. Because God does. He's not happy. He's happy justice is fulfilled, but God has worked very hard that you wouldn't have to actually receive justice. (laughs) 
And the beautiful thing is that's just you in your sinful state. When you become a Christian, which, by the way, is not because you did a lot of good things, and simply because you said, Father, forgive me for everything I've done. I receive the sacrifice Jesus took for me, and I make you Lord. I make you in charge of my life. Have all of me. I'll follow you. If you told God that, you're in. You told him and you meant it, you're in. He'll help you work out everything else. He'll transform you right away. It's awesome. It's beautiful. You're in. And one of the benefits of that, one of your inheritance aspects, is that you are now righteous. Your spirit, which was dead, is made new. You'll learn about this in OSL Level 1. Your spirit is dead, is made new, and cannot sin. (laughs) So God has made a commitment that he's only going to regard you as a believer according to your spirit. He's never going to see you as sinful. Now, your flesh can sin, so Christians still can sin. Uh But God's not going to reference you according to the flesh. It says in, I think, 2 Corinthians 3, I forgot to look that one up, um, that we don't regard people according to the flesh, neither does God. I look at people according to the Spirit, and the believer in the Spirit is holy. He is righteous, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, talks about the fact that Jesus took my sin and gave Righteousness. God sees me as right. God sees me as righteous. That's delightful. Do you realize how much depression is because of self-worth, self-esteem issues? Do you realize how many bad feelings you feel because you have a bad value of yourself? Yet God says, I value you a lot. And then you become a believer. He's like, and I see you as holy. Again, because of Jesus' righteousness. I used to tell high school students at times, I'm convinced I'm going to heaven. And they would look at me like, how do you know that? Because in their mind, you've got to earn this thing. I was like, hey, he earned this thing. And I'm convinced on how well he earns things. Isn't, aren't the thoughts of God's enjoyable? I mean, wasn't that fun to hear? Yeah, that's fun to hear. God's thoughts are enjoyable. I would, I would encourage you, pursue the study of his thoughts. His thoughts also relate to his emotions. And God does have emotions. He feels things. And I'm going to tell you right now that God is not mostly an angry or mostly a sad God, which is worth a whole teaching, and I don't have time to go into it all. Um, I encourage you to find Mike Bickle's teaching on the subject. But God is mostly a glad God. God is mostly a happy God. God is joyful. (laughs) <laughs> so let me give you some verses for that. In uh, in Acts 2.28, I'm not going to read these ones, I'm just going to reference them. Jesus is described as being full of joy. Now again, I'm going to mention here, it's not the point of necessarily what was being preached at the time, but if you read the what the Old Testament passages are citing, it's straight up there. It says Jesus was full of joy. Oh yeah, you make me full of joy in your presence. And um, this is Peter talking at the time. Peter says this verse references Jesus. Jesus is full of joy. <laughs> in Hebrews 1.9, Jesus is described as having more joy than anybody else around him. He's described as having uh, more gladness than all his companions. Jesus is the most joyful person in the world. Did you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy? That God is a happy God? That God is a joyful God? Yes, 
He's angry over sin. Yes, he does get sad. Yes, he weeps when you weep. He mourns when you mourn. That is always true. But God's mostly glad. Why? Because he knows he's going to win. He knows he's going to get his inheritance. I mean, God is happy for so many reasons, but partly because that's who he is. It's not a fruit of the Spirit because God's like, what should I make the... Oh, joy would be a good fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit because all that fruit describes him. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness. God's joyful. God's emotions are fun. And when you tap into his emotions, when you start understanding that, oh, man. And the exciting thing is his emotions towards you relate to his thoughts about you. They're out of this world. Um, I encourage you to come on our Tuesday night Song of Songs Bible study. We really start hitting this subject hard, the emotions of God. Um, But let me just read you some references about how God feels about you. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He's talking about our adoption in Jesus, and, and it goes back to the illustration I said about you know, having a kid, having a baby. You love them no matter what. God is simply pleased because you're a child of God. You don't have to do anything. You just showed up, and God was pleased. God was happy. God takes pleasure in you. Do you realize God takes pleasure in you? Think about that. Let it sink in. God takes pleasure in you. Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. If you don't understand that fearing God language, just know that if you're a believer in Christ and you're choosing to trust him with your life, that language references you. It's a whole other teaching. But this is you. God takes pleasure in you. Zephaniah 3.17, talking about the saints, uh, especially in the New Covenant. It says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is really happy. We, so many of us wake up in the morning and we are so upset that we're us. And God is upstairs. Upstairs. Uh, you know, God is in heaven. God is with us. God is thinking, I'm so excited you're you. <laughs> can, can you see as you catch, as you tap into the thoughts and the emotions of God, how much joy is released, how much uh, freedom you get from all that other junk? <laughs> um, I didn't look up this passage, but it, I, um, I think it's in First John, where it says that uh, we, uh, there's no fear in love. When you understand that you're fully loved, well, you, can't, you can't even fear. Now, again, we're in that struggle of understanding that. But as you grow in that understanding, fear starts falling away, man. Why? Because when I understand how he feels about me, I know how he's going to act towards me. And that takes us into the third thing, his actions. God never feels something he doesn't act on. Really true. God's not just like, oh, I have nice thoughts about you. I have nice feelings about you. Good luck with life. Hope it works out. No. Um, if you would ever do a study, and I encourage you to do this. This is really easy, by the way. Just Google or go into Bible Gateway and keyword compassion. If you would look up all the places in the gospel where it talks about Jesus having compassion, it's always linked to him doing something. For example, let me give you an example. John, uh, Matthew fifteen thirty two. 
Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus, there's a lot more important things than making sure these people eat. You know, we got their whole eternal salvation and he, he cared about that. But at the moment, they're hungry and he cares about that because they basically fasted for three days and um, he's like, they're not going to make it home. Jesus is concerned for their bodily needs. And because he's concerned, he did something. This is who God is. God, out of his actions, out of his emotions, out of his thoughts, does things. The Bible says God is love. He cannot help being loving. It's just who he is. Everything he does is loving. Even in the Old Testament. What I read to you in Ezekiel, that was in the Old Testament. There's a whole, we can get into why things happen in the Old Testament. But let me just tell you right now, everything God does is loving. So when we talk about the actions of God, um, I'm going to reference three things. Um, and you see this in the illustration of God as father, God as shepherd, God as husband, God... I'm trying to think if there's another one. Especially in those three, you see these three aspects come up, partly because it's, I believe, descriptive of those roles. Um, God protects. These are, by the way, just three things. God does multiple things. But God protects, God provides, and God empowers. <laughs> Part of my role as a husband provided in power. God has committed himself to you to help you with anything you need if you would so choose to commit yourself to him. God doesn't force himself on anybody. But he comes with an invitation. And if you've received the invitation, he's like, I'm committed to do these things for you. Now, let me say there will be times where this is tested, and this is where faith comes in. But I'm telling you, if you stick with him in the middle of the trial, if like Jacob, and you're re- if you're like Jacob and you're wrestling with God, do what Jacob did, and he just kept holding on. How do you win a wrestling match with God? You just always hold on. You don't let go, and you get the blessing. I won't let go of you until you bless me. He didn't even know he was talking to God, but guess what? <laughs> So when it comes to him providing, let me just give you some verses that talk about that. Uh, Matthew six thirty three. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, meaning those who don't seek the Lord. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This was at the end of Jesus having a long discussion about, listen, you have a lot of needs in this life, but if you... Seek me. Seek to live your life for me. I'll take care of everything. Now, again, why does he have to say that? He has to say that because that's going to get tested. He says that because you will get a bill that you do not have money for, and then you're going to have to say, what am I going to do? Trust God or do things myself? Ask the Lord for wisdom or do things myself? He's committed Psalm 37.4 is kind of the same idea. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There's that delight passage again. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Lord, I desire you, you know, among other things, provide for me and my family, and just at least give me a little bit to survive. No, he wants to give you more than enough, and he wants to give you abundance. And 
again, a whole other message. I might be creating more questions than I'm actually answering, but that's okay. <laughs> Hopefully it messes with you enough and you have to go home and look it up. Um, but God provides, God protects. Let me give you a couple of verses for that. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God doesn't promise you're not going to have problems. Many. <laughs> Can't hear an amen on that one. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Um, Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Well, make sure you notice, first of all, that weapons will get formed. God, you must not be for me. There's a weapon. I told you there's going to be a weapon. The weapon's coming. Guess what? The whole build your house on the rock and not the sand, that's because storms are going to come. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's going to happen. I don't ask for them, by the way. I don't need to. People who pray for, Lord, try me, test me. I'm okay, with, I'm okay asking the Lord to humble me. I'm okay with that. But I will never ask for tribulation because only the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give me life. Jesus comes to bring good in any circumstance, which is Romans 8, 28. So this isn't saying your life's going to be great and if you've had problems, you must not be trusting God. This is saying you're going to have hard things you're going through, but guess what? I found out that when I've held on to God, he's always protected me. When I've held on to God, he's always provided for me. And guess what? Even if someone kills me, I'm going to heaven. You really can't touch me. Seriously, I, um, <laughs> I annoyingly on two separate missions trips almost died. Um, they're long stories, but one, I was standing somewhere I shouldn't have, and something swung by my head. No, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to stand there, so even though I got yelled at for it. Um, and the other one was a bus broke down, and we didn't really realize how serious it was, and later we found it could have gone off the cliff. The brakes weren't working, but it stopped somehow. So thank you, Jesus, that happened. But I'm telling you, you could kill me, and in my flesh I might still freak out, <laughs> but you could kill me. And you still can't touch me. Why? Because my soul is safe with the Lord. So I, this doesn't answer all the complexities of why certain things happen and why stuff in the world. But I'm all here to tell you God provides, God protects. Now sometimes in leadership we get stuck on those two and we miss, we miss the empower part. Um, I don't want to get on a kind of a diatribe or a tangent, but um, you know, husbands are not just called to provide and protect, but I'm supposed to help my wife. Uh, realize her dreams because that's what God does for his bride (laughs) he empowers his bride he empowers his sons and daughters that's a good word he empowers us Ephesians 2 6 states and raised up together and made and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus if you would have read the chapter before that, it talks about how Jesus is seated above every principality, every uh, authority, every, everything on earth is subjected to the rulership of Jesus. He sits on a throne above it all. And then in Ephesians 2 it says, and then when you were put in Christ, God put you next to him. So guess what? You have all authority in Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I can face situations and say, I got the authority here. Now, I need to talk to the Lord about, like, the battle plan. Because I'm not saying you just take some verse and choose to do what you want. Um, Psalm 91, the devil was like, hey, Jesus, jump off this cliff. Because uh, God said he'll protect you. And Jesus is saying, 
The father told me not to do that, so no, I'm not going to just do that. But he was convinced God protected him. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, again, listen to devil or God. Um, but you've been raised up in heavenly places. You have authority in Jesus, and God wants to uh, help you exercise that more so you can move in it more. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has empowered you so much that, that it is literally mind-boggling. If you knew it. If you knew what the angels knew, if you knew what the demons knew, if you knew what all of creation knew, you are literally the envy of everything that God has created because only you have been made in the image of God, have been seated with Christ, have been placed in Jesus, have been empowered like Jesus, have been made righteous. And actually, the Bible talks about the rest of creation's um, deterioration is waiting to be restored until you get restored. So not only do we get everything, we're first in line for everything. We are so favored of God, it is amazing. And as you would study, not only his thoughts, his emotions, which describe his personality, but his actions, which are the overflow of his personality, you see, oh my goodness, he has done all this for me. Can you see how life would be more enjoyable? Can you see, for example, when I face a problem, I don't have to say, oh no, what do I do? I can get excited. Because in that problem, somewhere is good, because Romans eight twenty eight, he's going to bring good to me. Oh, you've got a lot of good, because this is a really big problem, Lord. <laughs> oh, we're going to, they're sick? Awesome. We get to pray they get healed. Why? Because I got power. When you understand God and the way he acts and the way he does things, you can face circumstances, and this is actually, I think, where maturity leads, is you can face circumstances and be joyful. I'm not there yet, guys, but I literally know people who have, you know, you read about like Heidi Baker and Roland Baker. You read about um, a guy named Andrew White in Iraq. Um, uh, he's an Anglican priest, who, a, a Bible-believing Anglican priest. And these people have like bullets flying and bombs going off places. They're, they're, they, they minister to people who are starving and they have to believe God to provide food. And they say, but our congregations are the most joyful congregations you ever met. Why? Because they learn to tap into Jesus. They learn to tap into his emotions. And in the midst of war-torn circumstances, they're like, God is awesome. Yay. They're riding outside our mission's compound, and they're jumping the wall to get in because they're burning people and killing them. Yay. God's showing up. Now, we're not sadistic. We don't like the pain. If you like the pain, there's something wrong with you. But, <laughs> but I'm excited about what the Lord He's going to do through it. By the way, Paul, who suffered so much for Jesus, would have avoided it if he could. They were about to stretch him out one time to like whip him to find out what was, why everyone else was mad at him. Think about that. Um, and Paul's like, I'm a Roman citizen. Don't hurt me. Oh, okay, we won't touch you. See, if he could talk himself out of it, he would. But when it came down to it, he was willing to suffer for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was worth everything to him. So simply the personality of God is worth studying. Like, I would encourage you to study it. I would encourage you to experience it. Learn about his thoughts. Learn about his emotions. Learn about the way he acts. Because it'll affect everything. It, and, it's, and, and it's fun. It's so enjoyable. But there's also the presence of God. And when you talk about the presence of God, um, a lot of different language is used, and hopefully I can be clear this morning. Um, because really, most everyone who talks on this subject says the same thing. They're just using different language. 
But there's, like I said, two aspects. There's the abiding presence and the manifest presence. And when I talk about the presence of God, I'm talking about God is with us. Because if you don't know, when you became a believer, when you say, God, I give you my life, God's like, awesome. Here's your new life, and um, I'm going to hang out with you now forever. Jesus says that, for example, at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lo, by the way, is the translation. He's not, it's not your name or something. Um, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's, he's committed to always be with us. And how does that work? Well, if you look up Romans 8, 9 through 10, and I won't read that one, but it talks about if you're in Christ, you have his spirit. And if you have the spirit of God, God is always present with you. Why is that exciting? Why is that good? It's good because everything that's awesome about his personality is readily accessible here and now. I don't have to be like, okay, God, I need something, and I got to get it in before 5 p.m. because your office closes down, and then you've got to mail it, and it's going to take three days to get to me, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. No, no, he's, he's present. It's like, oh, no, I, I need a tool, God. God, I need something to deal with this situation. Oh, thanks, God. Okay, cool. So, you know, God is always there. So everything that his personality is, is always available to you. No, you need to talk to him. It's about a relationship. He's not a slot machine. Talk to him, Lord, how do I, how do I receive everything you've purchased for me on the cross? Like, Lord, what is, what is the strategy? What are you bringing me into in this season? God is always taking you more into his glory. He's taking you into more of himself. He's taking you from glory to glory. You're being made more into the image of Jesus. But you need to ask him, Lord, what are, what are we working on now? Usually, you don't need to ask him. He's pretty vocal about it. But if you're having a hard time, just read the Bible, and when something sticks out to you, that's probably it. <laughs> There's other ways to hear the Lord, but um, basically, God, in his abiding presence, in his spirit always with you, brings me a lot of comfort. Because I'm telling you something. When it comes to the actions and thoughts and emotions of God, I don't always know what's going on. Because sometimes he chooses not to tell me. And I'm learning that's okay. Why? Because I can walk into any situation, and, and, it's, and it's cool, because I know he's with me. I, I've, over the last few years, have met with people more one-on-one, um, whether it's a believer or whether it's a non-believer. And sometimes, guys, I want to say something to this person. I have no idea what to say. But I've learned, it doesn't matter if I know. He might tell me in the moment. And it's okay, it's actually become quite fun. I ask him, Lord, what do you want to say? And sometimes he does tell me. Before. Sometimes I'm just, I'm just riding the ride. I'm having this conversation. You're talking to me about your sin and all sorts of dysfunction. And, uh, and so many things are going through my mind. But I'm just relaxing because I know when it's time, the Lord's going to be like, okay, now drop this on him. And it might just be simple, guys. Sometimes we're mostly supposed to listen. And um, you're just supposed to encourage and say, brother, I'm here with you. I love you, God's for you, like, you know, you don't have to make these things super complicated, but sometimes God says, hey, um, you know that friend at work, I, I, here's a word for him, uh, he did that to me a few months ago and said, I want you to talk to this person, and uh, <laughs> like, okay, Lord, and I said, hey, so-and-so, are you okay, I share you this word, He's super open, super open, super lives anti-God, super open. We've had like three or four coffee conversations talking about the Lord. If I told you everything this guy was into, you, you'd be shocked I'd have a conversation with him. Not because I would be offended, because he should be so offended at me. Because I'm against everything he is. <laughs> As a lifestyle, but um, he knows I love him. He knows I care about him. 
Why? Because he's made in the image of God. He has value. Actually, I'll just share this really quick. Yes, um, a couple days ago, I was actually with him, and he was just pouring his heart out, and he wanted me to take him somewhere to drop off an application. And, uh, <laughs> and it was one of those moments I didn't feel like I was supposed to say anything because I'm, I'm just supposed to sit here. I'm like, okay, not supposed to move. I'm just, we're just, he's just pouring out his heart. And he's about to go into this uh, job and just turn in an application. He's like, hey, do you mind if you pray? Can you pray for with me? And I prayed with him before, so he knew I did this thing, you know, this prayer thing. And uh, he's like, can you pray with me? I'm sure, like, sure, man. Lord, I pray your peace over him, and I pray that when he, um, you just bless him in this um, looking for a new job. He gets out of the car, he walks in, and he later tells me, the moment I walked in the door, I just felt this peace come over me. I was completely confident. <laughs> and he admits it's God. He admits it's God. God is doing something. I, in my natural, I'm like, okay, Lord, you're going to do something in his life. Um, I believe in it. But that's from non, whoa, sorry. That was from a mouth of a non-believer. Why? Because he experienced the goodness and mercy of God. He experienced me just walking in the abiding presence. Well, and you could also argue the manifest presence. So, going back to the, the, the topic of presence, um, there's the abiding presence God is always with us, but we talk about a lot of times in Pentecostal circles, charismatic circles especially, about what's termed his a manifest presence. Which, if you've never heard of that word before, sounds weird. Let me just make it really simple. God is always with you, but sometimes God shows you he's with you. That's what manifest means. He, he, he's showing. And why I say it that way is because the showing can look different ways. And frankly, I don't really care how he shows up now. I just want him to show up and do whatever he wants to do. But in the manifest presence of God, God can do a lot of stuff. And I don't even necessarily want to describe it for you because I don't want to put God in a box. But I will tell you, sometimes I have sensed his presence. I felt his presence. Many of you have. God is always with you. By the way, if you feel the presence of God, that doesn't mean before God wasn't with you. It just means now you're feeling it. Does that make sense? So some people get in this, like, thing. no, God is with you. He doesn't just show up. He's with me, but sometimes he shows himself, like, I don't know how to explain that. I'll be praying, and all of a sudden I'll start laughing hysterically, because one of the things the Lord's done recently in me is released a lot of joy, because if you knew, I'd be, I'd be really uptight and worried, and I would be really serious if God didn't get a hold of my life, and he did, and now I, I cannot help be in a prayer meeting and laugh because I sense the joy of the Lord. He, like his presence manifests himself to me that way. Um, so by the way, if you're on the prayer teams and you've got a really big problem and you're really worried about it and I start praying for you and if I start giggling, I'm not laughing at your problem. <laughs> I'm really trying to work on this, to be honest, but someone gave me a weird look one time and I'm like, I'm sorry, I've just, <laughs> I feel the presence of the Lord and I'm not worried one bit about your problem because I know God's going to move. <laughs> I didn't say all that because um, you, You've got to be sensitive, okay? Um, it's not, not necessarily something you can't have control over, but if you would allow, like, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do in me, it's a blast. God is, God is, God is hilarious. God is fun. God is, God is really exciting. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that break my heart, because I, I, I just wish, I'm like, Lord, if I could just help this unbeliever feel the thing I feel, know the thing I know. If they just knew you, they would love you. But the veil has been 
put over their eyes, which I do have authority to come against in the name of Jesus, and I do, and that thing is going to get removed, and we're, he's going to get saved, and she's going to get saved, and it's going to be awesome. But until that point, my heart does hurt because I'm like, man, you are so aching for the thing I feel right now in my soul. Sometimes I don't feel it, and that's fine. I don't care if God shows up or not. I know he's always with me. I don't ca- well, let me take that back. I want him to show up, but I don't care how he does it. I'm learning not to care how he answers my prayer. I'm learning not to care um, what thing he wants to talk about, because sometimes I want to ask him a certain question, and he really wants to talk about something else. I'm learning not to care because everything he does is good. And that's really the bottom line of what I want to tell you this morning, is God's thoughts are good, God's emotions are good, God's actions towards you are good, God's presence always brings good, his presence is always with you, and um, anytime he shows himself is good. That's one reason I like to worship, because as I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm meditating on his personality, because most of all the lyrics in worship songs describe the personality of God, the good lyrics. And we do sing those. Good job, Margie. Awesome job this morning. Jamie, Sean, you guys are great. Um, they lead us in the presence of the Lord, and I get to meditate on his personality as I'm worshiping him. But in Ephesians 5, 20, I believe, it talks about how as I worship God, I'm actually getting filled more and more with the Spirit. So literally almost every time, not every time, but the Lord is manifesting his presence to me. So I'm, I'm having thoughts of God in my mind that bring me pleasure. I'm experiencing the presence of God that brings me pleasure. I love worshiping. I love praying. And frankly, I'm learning that I can experience that anywhere. You can worship God when you're washing dishes. You can worship God when you're at, working at the library where I work part-time. I've, I've literally felt the presence of God sometimes very strongly in the library. I'm like, oh, dude. Jesus, don't stop, but if you start doing something weird on me, <laughs> it's people around. And he's, and he's good, and I don't, that, I apologize, that sounds like God's weird, and he's not. Just sometimes it's not always, whatever, convenient, but I, I, he's so good, I don't care anymore. <laughs> so, I want to encourage you guys this morning, learn what it means that God is your inheritance. And frankly, you're going to have to believe it sometimes in faith. Because to be honest, if you've never felt, if you've never felt the impact of these thoughts, you'll be tempted never to think them again because you'll think they don't do anything for you. But you have to meditate, you have to think about, you have to pursue the study of. Because it takes a long time to unbrainwash the lies and brainwash in the thing, the good. Amen? Amen. All right. Jen, if you could lead us in response. And as we enjoy the Lord. Oh, 